First Thessalonians chapter two, verse six. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? This is uh, the apostle Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica and to you and me. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and the depth of its beauty and wisdom. Help us to understand it today. We lift up our fellow missionaries and Christians and believers throughout the world today and fellow pastors. For the missionaries that have been um, kidnapped in Haiti uh, to the pastors imprisoned in China, wherever they are, we know they are loved by you and that you are sovereign We pray that you're glorified through their life. Pray for your your deliverance of them in their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Somebody's getting a lot of messages. Warren Bennis teaches and writes and is a keen observer of American culture. Over a decade ago, he wrote, leadership is a word on everyone's lips. The young fight against it. Police seek it. Experts claim it. Artists spurn it. Scholars want it. Bureaucrats pretend to have it and politicians wish they could find it. But everyone agrees on one fact, he says. There is less of it today than there used to be. We continue today with our little series entitled The Gift of Leadership. And today's message is entitled, Who Cares? Who Cares? There's a purpose to that. We'll get to that. I remind you today that I want to teach my own kids. I have three, I say three teenagers. My oldest teenager is 22. I don't know that she really wants me to refer to, as her, uh, to her as a teenager anymore. But I want to teach them about leadership in the kingdom of God. Because God called you when he redeemed you into leadership. And there are leaders everywhere you go. Everywhere. My kids go and you go. There are leaders and there are followers. Whether it's to the mall or the military the government or the grocery store, to a restaurant or to Richardson or Rowlett or to Rome. Everywhere you go, there are leaders and there are followers. At school or at work or at church or at home, there are leaders and followers. In all of these places, someone has to lead. Now, whether they're good leaders or not is is, uh, up to debate, but everywhere you go, Everywhere you go, there has to be leadership. It is just the way that it is. But what does that mean? What distinguishes a leader from everybody else? And again, that's the question we're trying to answer. When I talk about leadership, I know that immediately in your mind, you might think, oh, that's boring. 
<laughs> it is really important. What makes a leader? Because some people you know in your life, that's a leader. Whether a parent or a friend or a neighbor or a politician or whoever it is, you go, that's a leader. What distinguishes a leader from everybody else? A few weeks ago, we looked at when Jesus sent out the disciples and we learned leaders go, uh, let go of their baggage. Do you remember that? They stay focused and they learn from their mistakes. We learned those three things about the disciples that day. Last week, I shared with you one simple thought, and that is leaders take responsibility. Leaders take responsibility. While the world is filled with those who identify as victims, leaders identify as victors. In fact, I told you we live in a country of 300 million victims. And that's the mindset. Everything that's bad in your life is somebody else's fault. It's just a matter of finding who we can blame and, if possible, who we can sue uh, because of our lot in life. But in the kingdom, God calls us to be leaders, not victims. So today I want to look at an essential element to every leader in the kingdom of God for all believers in Christ who wish to make an impact in this world. And here's the today's point. Leaders are people people. <laughs> Leaders are people people. Are you a people person? Do you like people? Or do people irritate you? <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> Leaders... Christian leaders are people, people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, our passage for today that I read a while ago, I want to look at it again. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 6 says, this is Paul speaking, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. So Paul begins here, not just talking about himself, but the other Christian leaders, the apostles, the other apostles. And he says, you know, we could have been a burden. You know what that means? They're the apostles. He's the apostle Paul. Could have shown up and said, put us in a nice place. Give us some good food. We'll come out about noon and we'll preach a Bible lesson. You're lucky to get it. And then you take care of us the rest of the time that we are here. He, they didn't do that. Paul, Paul didn't do that. He was a hardworking guy. Tent maker by trade. He said, we could have been a burden to you. But he could also have been a burden in, in the sense that he could have been too harsh. People are where they are spiritually. And sometimes for spiritual leaders like Paul and the apostles, that becomes extremely frustrating. And so he says, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. He begins more and more talking about how personal this is to him. Listen to the next verse. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So he uses the word love and dear. They're dear to him. They loved them. In fact, he says, we loved you so much that we were happy to do two things. And here are the things that he did out of love. He said, number one, we were happy, we were delighted to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't stop there. He says, we cared about you so much that we were, we were happy or delighted to share our lives as well. There are people that you know that you might not be so happy to share your life with them. 
You might put up with them at work or at school or wherever you are in life, but you don't want to be buddies. You don't want to get too close because you don't care. And I struggle every week with that. The extent to which we will be successful leaders in the kingdom, you and I will depend upon how much we care about people. Leaders are people, people. If you don't like people, you need not apply. Or maybe it would be important, more important to say, if you don't like people, you need to change. I often remind you that on our logo, First Baptist Church of Azel, there's only one little motto. It's two words, and it says transforming lives because God is in the process of transforming lives. The Apostle Paul says, do not any longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does transformed mean? You were this, and now you're this. Think caterpillar and butterfly, completely different. And so you were this, God is molding you to be more like Christ into the person that he has created you to be, and that transformation, that person is different than the person you used to be. And so if you don't like people, I have good news. You can change. Now, whether you will change or not, it's up to you, but you can change. I get it. People can be difficult. Just ask Moses. People can be disappointing. Just ask Jeremiah or the Apostle Paul. You may go to work and say, it's too people in here. And you really would rather be alone. But God calls us to love others anyway. Remember, for much of your life, people have had to put up with you. And so you should care for them. And you may be an introvert. People intimidate you. You'd rather be in a quiet place all by yourself. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> God called you to be light and salt. Period. And he isn't particularly concerned that you're an introvert. Just ask Moses. Jerry's first few weeks here in the United States was daunting. For those of you who are new here at First Baptist Church, my, my sweet wife over here, Cherry, and I have been married for 23 years. And uh, I met her on a mission trip to Hong Kong back in 1997. And um, uh, we eventually felt God leading us to marry. And so I brought her over here and she'd never been in the United States before. Now she did speak English, sort of. I, they, <laughs> they call it tag English in, in the Philippines. It's part English and part, part Tagalog or Tagalog. Is that correct? And so uh, it's, it's a blend of two different languages, but she spoke English and, but she was so quiet. I couldn't understand a word she said. I couldn't hear her. And she didn't talk that much. In fact, it was a problem, a challenge in our relationship. I told her, you know, at some point, honey, you know, in a, a, if you're going to have a relationship, you, gotta, you have to say something uh, because she was so quiet. I mean, she's quiet. And then come over to a country where she'd never been. Her mother wasn't here yet. Uh, in fact, she didn't know anybody. The only person in the whole country, 300 million people, the only person she knew was me. And she didn't know me all that well. She found out decades later. <laughs> and so it's an intimidating situation for her completely different culture everything is different and I often tell this story I love it because we I took her to get a hamburger 
you know, I wanted to introduce her to good American food. Now they have hamburgers in the Philippines, but here's the thing about a Filipino hamburger. And we got some dear Filipinos with us today. They'll attest to this. I've been in the Philippines uh, and they eat burgers. They have burgers everywhere. The what they don't have is cows. Uh, I've been all over the Philippines. I've been there a number of times and in all my times there, I've never seen a cow. So I don't know, I don't know what that is, but I wanted her to have some good Texas beef, so I took her to Dairy Queen. <laughs> so we're sitting there in Dairy Queen, her first week or two here, we were waiting and they brought the, the burgers out to go. We didn't order them to go, I don't think, but they were to go, they were in a bag. And while we were sitting there waiting for our burgers and as they brought them out, uh, Cherry looks out the window and she sees a homeless person uh, walking by or a transient or whoever it was, he, he looked homeless and he was just walking by and without saying a word, uh, he was kind of hesitating out there uh, and uh, without saying a word, Cherry picked up her bag that had her fries and her, her burger in it and her drink and she went out there and gave it to that guy and started sharing the gospel with him. Now, she's shy. She's in a foreign country. She doesn't know any culture. She doesn't know anything. And as quiet as she was, though, when it came to an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, she didn't miss a beat. I just sat there thinking, what is she doing? <laughs> I remember that, and shame on me. Uh, if you're an introvert, God understands that, but that should never inhibit you from stepping up to leadership in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says it this way, no one should seek his own good, but the good of others. That's, that's the very model of Christian leadership. You're thinking about what is best for other people. If all you think about is you, leadership in the kingdom is going to be very difficult. Leadership is a people job. So I'm going to give you just a couple of quick steps. If you want to know what you can do, if you're thinking, Pastor, what can I do this week that will help me become a leader? I'm just going to give you two small thoughts. Number one, leaders look for the best in people. Or maybe I should say Christian leaders look for the best in people. Not the worst, but the best in people. And it distinguishes them from everybody else. You want to see a follower and not a leader? The follower sees the worst in everybody. That's why we don't look to politicians, or we shouldn't, and we certainly shouldn't look to the news media, because they're not leaders, because they don't see the best in people. They see the worst in people. Everyone else notices the worst thing about you, but leaders look for the best. Everyone, listen to me, Everyone has some good quality. Everyone has some good quality. You find that quality and you share that quality with them. Leaders look for the best in people. Nurture that quality or those qualities that are best. When Hillary Clinton <clears throat> lost the election to Donald Trump, she gave a quickly prepared concession speech. You don't need me to tell you I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton's politics. But it was an interesting night. I'll never forget it, and most of you won't either. It was the ultimate political blindside in our lifetime. Uh, the polls were so skewed toward Hillary Clinton 
that when Donald Trump won the election, people were just stunned, including myself, frankly. And so Hillary Clinton got up and gave her concession speech. She did concede. And I know she had polished, no doubt, that acceptance speech when she won because she was expecting to win. And said they probably hastily prepared a, a concession speech for her. And she got up and shared this speech. And the speech was different than any speech she'd ever given in her political career. It was very personal. She talked about her family. She's a mother and a grandmother. And she sounded like a mom and a grandmom. She sounded so human to me in her uh, demeanor. Her tone was kind and respectful. Not that hard-nosed politician that we've been hearing throughout the election. Now, even though I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton, but in that moment, that was so unexpected to her, she handled it with a certain level of grace. I'm not a big fan of President Biden's policies, uh, policies either. But when his son, Bo, died in 2015, if you remember that, the last year that he and uh, President Obama were in office, that was a painful time for him. And there was a, a period of time where he really transitioned from a, a political figure to a father grieving over the death of his son. Young son, young man, had his whole life ahead of him and came down with cancer. He did a tour in Iraq and they think maybe he, he got something there that caused cancer. They don't know, but it was a hard, it was a hard time for him. And I remember his first public comments after the funeral and saw him as a hurting father and not just a politician. The truth is, we often focus on the worst in people rather than the best. We go far beyond disagreement. And it's okay to disagree. That's not what I'm saying. But we go far beyond disagreement. We demonize them. We judge them. And honestly, we hate them. But that is not what Christ wants us to do. I'm not saying, again, we should ignore things, but godly leaders look at the best in people and not the worst. Now, the world, worst. They're going to see the worst in you and the worst in us. You just expect that. Don't be surprised at that. But that doesn't give you or, our li or, our, or me license to do what they're doing. Because in the kingdom, we're called to a different standard. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been made eternal through, in Christ through, through his blood. And so we should see the best in people. Number two, this goes hand in hand. Encourage people as much as you can. Encourage people. Now, people who are not leaders, not a lot of encouragement going on there. But in, in the kingdom, leaders encourage others. Now, I'm not telling you to lie to them. You know, oh yeah, that, that outfit looks great, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. You, you don't, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to, to, to fill them uh, full of a bunch of fluff and that sort of thing and be false and phony like you're running for office. No, I'm telling you as much as you can, encourage people. It doesn't take a college degree in theology or an advanced skill set. Just learn to encourage people. And again, you may say, Pastor, well, that's just not me. Well, change. <laughs> you 
You're in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ and Christ encouraged people. And so we should too. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says this. Paul says to the church in Ephesus and to you and me, do not let any, that's a hard word, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That may be the hardest verse in the Bible. Don't let any unwholesome. If you had a transcript, and I know you don't, the government probably does, but if you had a transcript of everything you said in the last week, <laughs> and you went through that transcript of everything, every conversation you had and everything, and somebody marked out every negative statement, how much would be left? Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others Wow. The truth is, most of us are a little shy and intimidated by others around us, especially people we don't know. But God can help you overcome that. Remember, the world needs godly leaders, and God has chosen you and me to do that. He's helped so many people overcome so much to do great things in his name. I saw one article state it this way. The next time you feel like God can't use you, just remember, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah wasn't very attractive. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow and thought that her life was over. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples were completely unqualified, bickered with each other, and often didn't understand or believe what Jesus was trying to teach them. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. <laughs> So you're shy. Get over it. God wants to use you in his kingdom, and he can. Someone has said this. God can make of us what we cannot make of ourselves. That's transformation. I'll leave you with this. Turns out Facebook is good for something after all. I find myself <clears throat> wondering. But I came across a wonderful story recently to my surprise, on Facebook of all places, somebody wrote this, and I want to share it with you. On September the 22nd in, in 1871, an elderly British lady, 82 years young, was ushered into her heavenly award, reward. Earlier in her life, in 1823, her frustration at being an invalid left her feeling useless and questioning her very salvation. What she did next would echo through history. As a young woman, Charlotte Elliott was not sure of her relationship with Christ, not sure how to be saved, even though she'd been raised a minister's daughter. And the probing question of a Swiss evangelist, are you at peace with God, would not leave her mind. When she saw the evangelist a few weeks later, she mentioned that she could not shake his question, but she protested, what could she possibly bring to God? Because she was an invalid. 
When he replied that she need not bring anything but herself, she gladly accepted Christ. Some 12 years later, in 1835, crippled by illness and constant fatigue, she felt saddened by her inability to help at a local church's cause. Remembering her conversion, she took out pen and paper and wrote a poem she hoped to encourage others who felt perhaps that they, had, they also had nothing to give. She couldn't do anything. She felt helpless. But she sat there and thought, what can I do? What can I do? She couldn't do most things, but she thought, what can I do? And she thought, you know, I can write. So I write a poem. And so that's what she did. And she wrote the poem hoping to encourage others who felt the way she did. And she wrote these words, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Her poem was published and she was inundated with requests for it. She was gladdened to discover that later some copies were being sold to raise money for the very cause she felt helpless to assist. After her death, thousands of letters were found in her home, written by people whose lives had been transformed by her words. That short, brief poem turned into a hymn. Her song has been translated into hundreds of languages, published in more than 1,600 different hymnals and has reached billions around the world and continues to bring people to Christ even today. Sixty years later, in 1931, a 31-year-old man riding in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle in England finally came to the end of his internal struggle against whether Christ was indeed the Son of God. He finally knew in his soul that indeed Jesus was just who he said he was. He realized that God calls him or calls us to him just as we are. When C.S. Lewis stepped out of the sidecar, he was a new man saved by grace. Ninety-nine years after Charlotte Elliott penned her words and three years after Lewis's conversion, the 16-year-old son of a dairy farmer listened intently as he heard the message of salvation preached at a revival service in Charlotte, North Carolina. When the song, Just As I Am, was sung at the end, young Billy Graham went forward to accept Christ. Twenty years later, Billy Graham had become a successful evangelist and was invited to speak at Cambridge University in England. His nervousness over the event nearly led him to cancel it. But he was introduced to a kind man named C.S. Lewis, who encouraged him to discard the critics and who had spoken out against him and to continue with the revival. Reverend Graham went on to speak to an overflow crowd each night of the revival, and when he returned to England in 1989, he addressed a crowd of over 80,000 people at England's Wembley Stadium. As always, as always, he closed the event with the same song that brought him in Christ, Just As I Am. If you remember, it was his theme song of every invitation. Never think you have nothing to bring to Jesus. You can be an invalid, and God can use you to change the world. He wants you just as you are. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today acknowledging that you have called us to be Christian leaders in your kingdom. We ask and pray today that as we are challenged by your word to care about people, 
the reason that we're here is not for ourselves, it is for people. As we glorify your name, we do that through people, through caring for people. It's a people job, our life. And so, Father, I pray that we would embrace that. Forgive us for those times that we've just talked bad about people instead of kind words. And I pray today as we go, whoever we're going to encounter this week, that our words would be encouraging and not discouraging. That our words would be kind and not critical. Help us as you transform us into the likeness of Christ. May we lift up the world. May we as leaders in your kingdom see the good in people and not the bad. You're the judge. You'll take care of the bad. Help us to see the good and focus on that. While you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? Jesus Christ wants you just as you are. Whatever that means, he's calling you. I encourage you to come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be like these eight that were baptized today that surrendered their life to Christ. I come just as I am. It may be God has called you or your family to join with this fellowship. And you want to serve God in this community, in this area, through this church. If God is calling you, just come down and say, Pastor, we would like to join. Maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray and thank God that he accepts you for who you are. Would you stand? No one's looking around. And as you continue to pray, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. As you continue to pray, right now, this invitation is for you. You've come.